In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to True Life Podcast. I hope everybody is starting their week off with a smile on their face. I hope everybody's starting the week off with the sun shining, the birds singing, the wind is at their back. Maybe you got a silver lining, I don't know. But I'm here with an incredible guest, and we're going to bring to your ears a little something worth listening to. And so if your week is starting off awesome, it's going to get better. And if it's a little bumpy, it's about to get awesome. So I hope everyone will help me welcome Gary Quigley. Got him on the podcast today, and we're honored to have him. Hailing from Southampton, England, weighing in. I don't know what he weighs in at, but he's a champion. I'll tell you that much. He's a seasoned service design transition manager with a focus on aligning ITL, ITIL4 processes with project execution He's got a bunch of cool stuff under his belt. We're just going to start talking here, man. I hope everybody's having a beautiful day. Gary, how's it going, my friend? George, absolute pleasure to be here, man. I actually, I've moved to London, so that's just oh. a quick update. I was in Southampton. Um, but we can come on to that because it actually comes into the whole story of, you know, self-development and growth and all that sort of thing, which I'm a, a massive proponent and believer in. Uh, but yeah, it's going, it's going really good. Well, I think we're connected by a mutual friend, uh, Thomas Hutchinson, who's a fantastic individual I met at a biohacking event. And uh, yeah, there's there's great power in making connections with people in the right times in your life, and uh, that's what's led me here. So I'm very grateful. Thank you. Yeah, what was, was that? The London Connect event, or no? It was a thing called um, I think it was just called the Biohackers event or something like that. And it's one of those things you know you see it online, sounds interesting. Uh, you know, living in London, you want to take up the kind of opportunities because I'm originally from Isle of Wight, so it's completely 360 to, to London. The Isle of Wight's population is about 110,000 people. Everyone knows each other. Uh, you know, if you've um, if you've got an ex, you're going to run into her. Basically, that's the way it goes. And yeah, since moving to London, the opportunities are just so vast in in what you can do and the access to things that you have. And when that popped up, I was just sort of like, okay, I say I'm about this. I say I'm into this. So I've got to, I've got to show it. So yeah, I went. Yeah, that's what it takes. I think that 
you know, uh, the path of growth must be chosen over and over again. And it's, it, it's scary sometimes to, to hear your heart call or to know that there's something out there for you and then to pursue that path, man. Let's start with biohacking though. Like that's such an interesting topic, whether people are doing uh, no tropics or they're, you know, figuring out ways to do some biofeedback. What, when I say biohacking, what, what is it that interests you about biohacking? So biohacking, as you said, I mean, go in very different areas. It can be from your mind to your body. Um, it's even like to the level of the kind of fabric conditioner that you use. Like if it uses <laughs> certain chemicals and stuff like that, that can uh, not yeah. just impact your skin, it can impact your thought patterns and stuff. It's a bit bit wild. I'm not, I'm not yeah. an expert by any extent, but just I think having the awareness gives you a power and a, uh, an advantage over like many people. So it's just about getting that awareness of a light spectrum. So now that I know that, I don't have to know the intricacies of what chemicals. I just need to look on the back and be like, does it have XX that I don't think is right? You know, and on that subject as well, it's like in food today, Joe, I don't know if it's the same in America, but in England, uh, we consume 70% of our diet is processed food. And so much of that stuff is like, yeah. I, I have a sort of rule, if I can't pronounce it, I don't eat it. And there's a lot of stuff on the back of processed food that you can't pronounce. Um, and we need to go back to eating things and have one ingredient, a pepper, a cucumber, a tomato, you know, that sort of thing. They've got those nutrients that we need. So sometimes it's about knowing what's already there for us to take advantage of. And sometimes it's about being or being shown things that exist in the world that other very intelligent people have created that allows you to take advantage of that technology or that substance or that thing that we're aligned with. So one thing I'm trying recently is something called Shilajit. Mm. It's, uh, it's just something you mix in your water, basically in the right. morning with water, just gives you a bit more mental clarity. I've yeah. tried um, ashwagandha. I've tried, uh, tried a few things. <laughs> uh, but it all just sort of comes back to those fundamentals of, um, just want to have more more clarity, more alignment with your body, mind, and soul, and that's just kind of how I try to to live um, under those three principles. So it doesn't get too complicated because the world's a very expansive and moving place, and it can be very easy to get bogged down and confused with things. So I'm no expert by any means, but I know enough to direct me and the people that I love in in positive directions. I love it, man. I I love the idea of you know, let's, let's try to see what this machine can do. Not that the body's mm -hmm. a machine, but like, let's see what the human condition can do when we get all the right fuel in there. And for a long time, like I was a, I've been a big proponent of psychedelics for a long time. On some level, I feel as if it opens up your perspective. You know, it, it allows you to see sort of in a different, I think perspective is the right word, but you know, it's it's interesting how, at least in my opinion, it's been able to help me understand this thing called shame or understand this thing called anxiety. You know what I mean? And kind of allow you to sneak up on it without having to feel things like that. But yeah, I, I think uh, psychedelics for me, particularly um, LSD and uh, like psilocybin mushrooms have been the two that I've gone to. And it's really helped me 
figure out a lot of problems that I've had in my life with some generational trauma and some some other relationship traumas like that. What, what's your take? Have you have you uh, have you tested out those particular supplements, or uh, what's your take on psychedelics? Uh, LSD, no mushrooms, yes. Very briefly, I had some in Amsterdam. It's mm. quite interesting because when I got back, my mum first thing she said to me is, "Did you do any um, any drugs?" <laughs> my answer was, "I didn't do anything illegal." Right. Because technically that's true if you're an answer that. Uh, and it, they make it, it's almost like, um, and this is one of the great things about traveling, where you, right. when you see a different side of the world and how people, different people perceive things and you see the history of that. So you find out that the whole kind of history of making Amsterdam, um, you know, cannabis and mushrooms and everything yeah. legal Amsterdam links back to the church and how taxes and all this sort of thing. But when we would go there and you can just go into a shop and you look on the, the menu, essentially you have a menu for these mushrooms. Whereas you take that to the, you know, England, don't get a menu, you get some bloke in an alley that has a big coat right. and then, you know, it's very different. <laughs> so you go to the menu and you've got, you know, as you put it a normal menu, this is the flavor, this is the taste, these are the effects, it's all like a star rating, the same with the cannabis. And it was incredibly organized and, you know, business focused and just feels, it's just the products basically that's yeah. being used over there and it's, they they see it a different way than we do and they utilize it and um and yeah we tried some and it was interesting it was a very interesting time actually because i my partner was american at the time and i was with two english friends and we'd had you know cannabis before and stuff growing up and uh, we were quite used to that effects but they hadn't and uh when we were in the smoke shops and everything they would you know smoke and try to get the feeling and they were getting some high from being in the room but not really but then when we had like a space cake and stuff like that you can't you know you just eat and everyone can do that uh so yeah seeing them get um high was was quite amusing and then my friend he went to a cake shop afterwards and he ordered like three cakes and i had to stop him and say you realize they're just cakes <laughs> <laughs> they're, not, they're not special cakes that doesn't translate to everything in amsterdam <laughs> but yeah that was that was a really fun time so yeah i've had you know like like many people growing up i've tried uh different um drugs and things uh mostly just really light stuff but yeah, yeah I, I would say i've had honestly some fantastic experiences under those conditions because as you said, it opens your mind up. It helps you to be more expressive as a human. And you just drop so many boundaries of masculinity yeah. uh, and um, oh, what's it called, like pride. And you just yeah. let yourself be, you know. And I think it's it's interesting that things like that are seen as being alternative medicines. Yeah. When you look at, like, on a factual basis, how is a pill that's created in a lab that puts in all these different chemical stuff and comes into this little thing like this how is that an alternative medicine and the stuff that came from the ground sorry yeah how is that not alternative medicine and the stuff that came from the ground is the alternative medicine it's it's a very weird thing we've been sold really and no one really seems to be questioning it but i question everything so yeah i've had some interesting talks about that i love the idea of questioning everything you know i one of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately is, is this idea of 
trying to think of the right word. Like, I think so, on some level, psychedelics for me, they help break the conditioning that most of us have gotten. You know, like when it comes to the idea of awareness, I think that you can go out for a walk in nature and learn more from a battered coastline or a waterfall than you can in a classroom. Not all the time, but a lot of times, you know, when you go out there, you're sometimes knowledge is revealed to you. And there's like this sort of organic intelligence. But in today's world, we seem to be on the forefront of artificial intelligence. And I'm just wondering, what are your, do you have any thoughts on the, on the similarities and differences? And I know they're just words, but what, how do you see the relationship between organic intelligence and artificial intelligence? Uh, that's a hell of a question. <laughs> um, I love it. Good. <laughs> so I, I think from my perspective, it'll be that organic intelligence, um, basically it's unpredictable in the way that a waterfall hitting a rock reacts differently to, or sorry, water hitting a rock reacts differently to the water hitting the ground, reacts differently to water hitting the person, you know. It's it's unpredictable in in the facets of what happens from one action to the next, and that's I think what the beauty in it is. I mean, we know that water is water, but we don't know how that water is going to um, cascade and break apart, and what's depending on the surface. We, we we can't predict that. But with AI, the idea is it's it's all so predictable in the way that, and this is actually something I learned recently, so I have been studying it. But it's known as an LLM, so it's um. A learning a learning language model i believe or a large language large model. language model yeah yeah so essentially i always thought it was connected to the internet and it's a website that goes out and, scan, and scans the internet and gives you stuff back and that's not actually the case it's something that was built over 12 months a language that's built over 12 months that's why it's reference points only go back to i think 2021 i think anyway but because of that it is, as I said, it's only referencing a database of information that's being created and then bringing that back. And I find that when I use AI, the most effective way I get out of it is when I treat it like a human. So I don't ask it a question to give me an answer. I ask it to give me questions so I can answer those questions. Because then there's, um, there's, mul it's, there's multiple layers of touch points that it's going to to get that information based on my answers. So it makes it less predictable than it just giving me an answer because it doesn't know what I'm going to answer back. But yeah, I do think it's um, it's highly predictable in the way that it just kind of it functions. And again, because it's been built and exists for those ten months. Uh, sorry, it's been built over ten months. Its data set is what's in existence. The data set for the the world, organic intelligence, as you say, is thousands of of years old. <laughs> and, goes into things that we haven't discovered i mean you can spend a day out in the forest i guarantee and just spend like eight hours there and this is what i think the beauty in life if you just did that you would you'd experience something that no one else in the world had experienced they're not in if you're there by yourself in that place you are experiencing something that no one else gets experienced in that moment in time i just don't i think we go through life so busy and distracted that we don't get to resonate with those kind of um opportunities anymore and i do think there's great power in that yeah that's really well put i've never thought about it from that angle but you're right you know if, if you are out there forest bathing or you know doing some sort of 
sutra or meditate or just go for a walk or hanging with a friend or something like you really get to have this divine moment with yourself and nature that can be i mean nothing short of a miracle it's, it's weird to think about that but it's really nothing short of a miracle and yet there's such a lack of spirituality around <laughs> how is that even possible gary I think again, it's it's. Um, I think it's intentional. I mean, I am one of right. those conspiracy theorists. I, yes, I don't me too. There are people in the world that are uh, very powerful, have a lot of money, and I think anyone. Well, basically, the way I see it, if you've got five pillars, and I always forget the fifth one, so hopefully, I'm not going to do it this time. But <laughs> you've got influence, money, um, resources, a good heart, and I knew it was going to go. <laughs> then there's, there's some, there's another fifth one. But basically, you've got a good set of pillars in 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 those like those foundational pillars. I think you can change the world because if you're a good if you're a person with a good heart and you have the resources, the money, the ability, uh, probably that's it, the ability, then you can literally yeah go out there and change the world. And there are people that don't want the world to change because the world changing on a you know mass scale is a threat to their power influence ability to live life how they've enjoyed it so they give us you know processed food and it's mm. kept yeah and i mean there's many different avenues you can go down but i fundamentally disagree that we are put in this world and everyone has equal like equal footing basically i don't think we're educated enough about food i don't think right. we're educated enough about our minds i don't think we're educated enough about how people get to where they kind of got to that even you know the principles of oh money's dirty money's bad money's evil it's like again if you're a good i have no reservation i want to be incredibly rich because i know i'm a good person i know i can help a lot of people and right now my resources only allow me to help a certain amount of people and the more i can increase my own wealth my own resources the more people i can help how can that be bad you know, but even saying I want to be rich, you have people be like, oh, well, I don't know about that. No, I, you know, I, I'm more I don't care about money. I care about helping people. Great. You can help more people with money. You can still be moral and have money. There's some of the, the biggest benef benefactors or sort of benefactors, people that give money to charities and of the highest amount are incredibly wealthy people. Yeah, it's it's interesting the idea of money, you know. And I I think that on some level we're seeing that change today. Like I think maybe the idea of value is changing, and with value comes the change of of money on that on that side of it. But yeah, it, it does make sense, and I I too agree that I if I put on my tinfoil hat, what I see happening is an incredible lockdown of food right now. Like there is an incredible fight on the forefront of people trying to control food. And if you think about it, if you can control food, you can control everything. I think it was Kissinger's in his, one of his latest, the one he wrote with, with Eric Schmidt, a recent book they wrote together that talked about controlling the food supply is, you know, paramount in, in setting up any sort of, you know, long form government to control stuff. But what's your take on the the ongoing food supply? Over where you're in neck of the woods, a lot of farmers protesting right now. Yeah, um, I've been I've been keeping up on it. There's I oh, think okay. in France, Germany, 
And you're right, when it goes back to the source, that's when you really start to kind of think. So yeah. we can live in our, you know, our iPhone worlds and our AI and right. all this sort of stuff. But fundamentally, we are organic organisms that need certain nutrients and food to exist. Yeah. Food and water and the fundamentals. And when that goes away, all this AI stuff, that 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 does mean nothing because I mean, even if right. you're alive, you don't have the brain capacity to use it, you're not that's gonna right. be able to you know, be very good. And I think it's I think it's amazing in the way that it shows just how much power that the people, if you like, of which we are have. And when they realize that, it's um and when other people start to realize that in terms of we have the numbers, essentially we're controlled and governed by entities that often don't have our best interests at heart, lie, corrupt constantly, and we we perceive that we can't really do much because they have the power because they have you know authorities they have police they have industrial um mechanisms behind them but ultimately the people have the power because there's there's more of us yep. but the problem is and this is where the whole division comes in if we were a single mindset let's say with seven billion people in the world let's say it's that let's say 100 million people out of that seven billion are bad actors you know want the worst of people they're just bad bad people so then you've got six point something billion that are good people want the best of the world want to do good things so we can come together as collective and we said no we've had enough of this taking over the government don't like that you've not been behaving right been paying you you're not doing your job da, 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 da. you know take over this take over this take over this and we just basically take our, our lives back essentially we could do that Yep. But the problem is that the mindsets of people are so different and most people's mindsets are from a place of um i don't want to say fear necessarily i think it's too strong a word but a lack of understanding of the power that they have i think mm. would be the nicest way to put it so people sort of go through and say okay i've got from zero to let's say 90 best case scenario in that time okay i want to raise a family i want to have a wife i want to do the 2.4 children thing with the, the mortgage and all this sort of stuff yeah and then they get to their 60s and they realize their pensions ain't sustaining them and you know yeah. loads of their friends have passed away and they kind of just reflect and think well what you know what what was my life what did i do all this sort of thing and um i think i don't think again i don't think it's by accident that you have these kind of realizations quite late in life Whereas most yep. people go through yeah. thinking this is life and this is okay and this is this, this is that. But on every foundational level, we are miracles. Like whether you come from religious perspective or the science perspective, the science perspective, we're over one in a billion chance. A religious perspective, we are God's children. You know, whatever religion you put inside there, we are ex children or, or chosen or whatever you know, thing you want to use. I mean, a single cell in our body has so much complex stuff going on, like a single cell. Yeah. We are incredible, incredible human beings. We were not put here to watch Emmerdale and <laughs> drink beer five nights a week and smoke ourselves to death. That, it, 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 it blows my mind, honestly, that people look at their lives, they've got zero to 90 and what they choose to do with it. And I think part of it is awareness. They make that choice um, almost unknowingly because they don't mm -hmm. believe in themselves to, to think of anything better. They think that's not for me, that's for them. 
Yeah, you know, I I grew when I I grew up I went to a public school and no one ever told me or any of my classmates that there's a path to success where you could retire at the age of 30. I didn't know that. I thought you had to get up and go to work for 40 years, break your back and, you know, it, it but it does begin to dawn on you. At least it did for me and psychedelics played a part in that, but you know if you're just quiet, this goes out to everybody listening, whether you're five or 40, but well, if you're five, you're probably not listening to this, but if wherever you are in life, just look around, sit by yourself and look around. And, and you know, that feeling of something's not quite right. It's not, something's not quite right. And if you start looking around, you start seeing signs like, you know, just think about the word culture. What the hell is the word cult doing in culture? You think about that for a minute, like, Hmm. It's almost like culture is trying to buy you off. Like as soon as you become dangerous, you know, some people come dangerous at 20, some at 30, but a lot of people become dangerous at middle age when they got a little bit of money and their, their influence begins to weigh, you know, they get to their ideas and opinions are formed and they have a little weight they can throw around. Well, we'll give you just enough money. So you're happy. Not too much. We don't want you traveling and doing too much fun stuff. You know, we'll, we'll give you a couple of kids. We'll put you in debt. And so you, by the time you have, built up enough to throw your weight around. It seems like culture buys you off. And my challenge for everybody listening to this, you're scary, you're dangerous, know it and embrace that and and live your life. Don't get don't be like Gary don't like Gary says you can get to the age of 60 and that's when people have like this midlife crisis or maybe even earlier like they realize what the fuck did I do with my life, man? What did I do? I worked for this company that doesn't care about me. I, I gave in and I, I settled for less. Don't settle for less. If you're, yeah. if you're 20, 30 or 40, make the change right now. Like you can do it. And like you said, like Gary says, you're a miracle, man. You can make these changes. It's not easy, but be, be one of the people that can, right? Absolutely. And I think one of the big things I would um, try and put across to people as well is, again, utilize the fact we do live in this time of absolute abundance, right? Yes. If you have, uh, if you're working a job, let's say you're working in a supermarket or you're working um, as an accountant, wh whatever you're doing, if you're, you're not happy in your job, yeah. I, I never advocate for someone just to leave their job and go, you know, whole hock and just see if it works. Because the thing is, there's this whole notion of, oh, you've got to put yourself in a stress, uh, you know, stress response, fight or flight, all this sort of stuff. But when you do that and you put yourself in a position where you have financial dependencies and you then, uh, you know, you're worried because, oh, I can't yeah. pay my bills because uh, I made this decision. It's not working out. Your cortisol is going to be so freaking high. You're not going to be able to think straight right. and you're not going to be able to do those big moves. So I don't advocate for that. I say stay in your job. But if you can re reserve, let's say, an hour a week, three hours a week, whatever, you jump on Udemy, you jump on YouTube, you buy a book, whatever it is. The thing is, uh, Stephen Bartlett said this recently, and it's so true, that success is boring. Basically, the, the results afterwards aren't boring, but the things you have to do to get there are boring. It's reading a book. It's doing it. It's not doing a course and sticking it on while you're watching Family Guy in the background or anything like that. It's whole like locked in. I'm doing this. It's boring as fuck. I want to shoot myself in the head. <laughs> this is what I have to do because I'm. I need to do the things that other yeah. people don't do because I want to be someone that other people aren't. I want to bring my life to a point that 
makes people look at me and go, wow, what look what Gary's doing. Yep. Wow, that's amazing. Like Gary's working with this person. He's going to these events. He's doing this. I want that because I want to know that I earned it. So, yeah, success and growth and all that stuff is incredibly boring and mundane and all this sort of stuff. But it it goes back to that thing of stuff that's boring means that you're doing you're, you're singularly focused because when you're trying to do we don't actually multitask. We think we do, but we don't. We task switch. And every time we switch to something different, we we have a, a cognitive um, cap, like almost like an allowance for that. So when you wake up and in your day, you've got a certain amount of cognitive allowance. And this is why Jeff Bezos only wore, not Jeff Bezos, uh, Steve Jobs, wore the same clothes every day, the polo neck, the jeans, all this stuff. Because he didn't have to think about what to wear. So that's less cognitive load. So all these decisions we have to make as we go through life co is cognitive load and it has a cognitive cost. Yeah. Um, so the more you can reduce that, the better. And we experience more in a day than people 700 years ago would experience their entire lifetime. So this is the level of pressure and demand on our psyche that we have every single day. And we don't recognize it. We don't realize it. We don't appreciate it. But when you recognize that and you start to like put in systems, and as I said, it's one hour, one hour a week, three hours a week, whatever, but focused on a direction, a goal that's outside of your, your, your job, seeing where that can take you, you know, marketing, sales, whatever. And the thing is with neuroplasticity, those mm. skills will transfer into your job. Those skills will transfer into your life. You become a better salesman. You become better at conversation you become better at conversation become better at networking events you become better at networking events you meet the right people and they want to hang out with you you meet the right people they want to hang out with you they then trust you they trust you they give you opportunities you get opportunities you see where the path goes right yeah and that all started with just doing something like an hour course three hour course but which doesn't seem related but it is because as I said, with neuroplasticity, the more you can form neural connections and ways that your brain can do expansive thinking and bring in this element and this element and this element to combine it to make something really powerful, then you start to become a person of influence, you become a person of interest to people. And that's when you start to, to grow and develop. I love it, man. It's... <sighs> I heard a sentence recently, and I want to get your opinion on it. And that sentence is, relationships are the new currency. What do you think? I have a slightly different one. <laughs> okay, let's hear so it. My friend says, relationships are the highest form of currency. I love it. Why? Um, completely true. Uh, the thing is, it's the fairy tale, if you like, is that... I was ambitious, I was driven, I was motivated, and I made it happen. And I, you know, pulled myself up on my bootstraps and I went from zero to this point and everything. This the reality is you have to be humble and you have to say, No, I need help. I, I'm not a skilled marketer, I'm not a skilled salesperson, I don't have a fantastic network, I don't even know how to network. I need help. As soon as you say I need help, things start to open up because then you, you know, you come across a person that, let's say, for example, if you had one mindset of I'm going to do it myself, you meet someone at a networking event and you say, oh, yeah, it's great to meet that person. But 
I, I can't meet them again because I'm focused on my goal and I've got to do my goal and it's just me. So I've got to stay in my office and I've got to do this 12 hours a day, six days a week, you know, to make something happen. The reality is if you allow that person in that you, again, when you've got an expansive mind, you say, I need help. I met that sales guy. Let's, let's meet up that sales guy for a coffee. Let's um, talk and get to know each other and see if maybe we can take that somewhere. And all of their contacts, all of their influence, all of their understanding of business and that, that can all, not all of it, but that can be come across to you and they may want to help you because, again, you've got that trust. You're a good person. You've, you speak um, eloqu uh, eloquently and all these sort of, you know, factors you bring in. Um, but yeah, I mean, for, for my personal experience, getting a network, being attached to the right people has been exponentially like more beneficial than me trying to do, you know, 100 courses and every different facet because the people have such, people are like a rich tapestry of information. And if you go to a book or a course, it's like a single source. It's built and it, it, it starts and it stops. It starts and it stops. People don't start and stop. They are different from the day that you meet them to the day you next see them. Like so many more data points will come in in that time. So people are such an incredible resource. I don't mean to describe them as a resource, as like right. something you could take from them. Right. But as a, as a human to human connection, like we are historically you know from our ancestral beginnings we were in tribes the tribes worked together to create something the the men built the camp the women would go cook the men go out and hunt but the men you know as a group one man going out to hunt is the death sentence so if you look at it in the same frame you going out to hunt i.e trying to make something of yourself all on your own death sentence so forget, you know, your ego, like embrace being humble and, and realize you have an ego. Everyone has an ego. And it's not noble to say you can do it by yourself. Because while you're saying I could do it by myself and you're not making anything of yourself, you're not helping the people you want to help. So embrace a network, embrace being humble, embrace other people's skill sets, and other people's diversities and all this other stuff that you can bring into yourself and just live more how we're supposed to live as a group as a collective as a tribe yeah it's i love it thank you for sharing that it there's a feeling of richness that comes from being helpful in others lives you know what i mean and that seems to me be, to be beyond just to be beyond somewhat you know you you almost get to sit beside yourself when you do something cool for somebody else that Maybe maybe it's just an insight that you have that they didn't have, or you know. But there's something really beautiful about the idea of co-creating, and this is what leads me to this next idea that that I'm curious about. What is the relationship between co-creation and abundance? Co-creation and abundance. Um, I suppose it's kind of when you work with someone. Again, you, you take what you know, what you experience, what you have. And when you work with someone else, you take their experiences, what they have, and their life journeys, essentially. And I think you find connections in that, and you find um, things you can relate to. Yeah. And with abundance, 
it's that you feel that everything is so limitless like it, it doesn't end so if you can meet more people and again feed off their energy and feed off their experiences and feed off their life journeys then you start to open your perspective on things i mean i can't remember exactly where i picked this up but there's a whole thing about why do people sort of move to dubai why do they live in like the rich people live in these really high top buildings on the 40th floor and stuff it's not just a pure ego driven thing but i mean even if i don't even know they realize it but when you stand on something really tall and you look at that the whole vastness you know in your view is increased and you can see further than ever you can see more your um your perception is just opened basically to what you can see that literally has a, a biological effect on the um i think the word basically the hormones in your body to to shut to make you feel a way of like life is sort of limitless so when we're in these kind of boxes of our offices and stuff like that we don't feel that sensation of abundance that sensation of constant life and expanse and that sort of thing because we're constricted and this is another thing the most constricted thing we do to ourselves which we don't realize the detrimental effect is our phones we take this whole expansive world we're given and we put it in a little box like this <laughs> and people spend you know five eight hours a day like this it's it's insane to me that like i said the world is out there and something that I, I realized the other day, I was coming back from the gym. I was on my bike. And I was coming back on the uh on my bike. I realized from point A to point B, I'm literally I'm moving through the world. Like that as a concept. I was here and now I'm here. I was here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, here. But I'm literally moving through the world, a world that at one point, you know, was built by the Romans and has been through Tudor times and all this sort of stuff. Like, it, it, there's so much history and everything that I'm traveling through in that moment. And I'm part of history in that moment. But when I'm in my room and I'm sat on my computer or I'm sat on my phone, whatever it is, I'm just in this box and that's it. And that is where, sadly, the majority of us spend our lives is putting ourselves in these boxes. And we wonder why we don't have these expansive minds. We wonder why we don't feel the sense of abundance. Like, you have to, like I said, move through the world. And you and moving with someone is so much more powerful than moving on your own. And, um, yeah, there's a great saying. I think it's like, if you want to go far, go by yourself. If you want to go farther, go with someone else or something like that. And I think that's very yeah. true yeah yeah it's it's interesting this idea another part of that too is you know when you look at your phone people are looking down you know it doesn't seem like too long ago people were looking up at the stars you know like what like it's a different mindset like i think posture and i think the way you move through the world much like you said has a radical effect on how you see the world if you're moving yeah. through the world you know like hmm you know or being inspired by the stars it's more i don't i think you're more inspired by looking up at the stars than looking at a map of the stars on your phone you know or, or looking at a map of the stars through hollywood or some bananas thing like that, like that but you know it's it's interesting to to think about how we how we define the way we move through the world 
I, I've never thought about that. I thank you for putting it out there. It's it's fascinating to think about. What what about inner dialogue? Like you you talked about how you move through the world. Does your inner dialogue have an effect on the way you move through the world? Uh, yes, and I'd say how to put it. Um, your inner dialogue can be incredibly powerful in the way that. I think a lot of us, when we when we think about inner dialogue, we think about mm -hmm. the negative thoughts we kind of give ourselves. But again, I think awareness is powerful. Right. And over ninety percent of our thoughts are negative. That's how we're mm -hmm. biologically wired. So people that go through and think, "Oh, I talk myself down all the time. I do this. I do this, and I, I want to do this," and my mind sort of says, "No, you're not capable of that. You're not smart enough. Whatever it is." understand you're only working from a base level framework you are no different to anyone else if you have those thoughts everyone has those thoughts i said it's 90 percent of your thoughts are driven in that but what i want people to take away is you have to work incredibly hard and again do boring things to give yourself a counterbalance for those 90 percent of negative thoughts because if only 10 percent of your thoughts are positive then you're going to go through the world thinking that Nine out of 10 times, I'm miserable, I'm self-deprecating, I'm, you know, I tell myself I'm not worthy. And every now and again, I'll have, a, you know, a good day. But you can increase that. But it comes from, yeah, having the awareness you've got 90% of thoughts, um, having, like, gratitude for, you know, everything that exists in the world. And my inner thoughts have been great in the way that, well, recently, since, you know, again, start getting the network together, having more awareness, looking into human psychology and all this sort of thing, recognizing that a day, a day can be like completely different and it's all kind of on you. Like I, I, I fully appreciate the whole thing of self accountability. I, I like that as a notion. I think it's important, but I think you can't have accountability if you don't have awareness mm. and so many people don't have awareness and they they walk through and they just think that they think a certain way that makes them feel a certain way and that's what they resonate with and you can take that control back and it can be something as simple as you might say you know i've tried reading books i've tried this and if you if you're like trying to read a book and you can't get your mind sort of focused enough then I think, okay, you're you're at too much a an advanced level. A book is a very static activity, right? So your mind's probably going a thousand directions. That's why you can't concentrate. Okay. So you need to take control of your mind back. You need to get into alpha state. You're probably in right. you know beta or something, you get back in alpha. So again, with the abundance of information we have, go on YouTube, look up a video, how to alpha state, beta state, wherever it is. Understand the brainwave states. Because if you go that back to the foundations, i.e. your mind, your body, your soul, and you start there, then you can make real changes in terms of you put yourself in a different mental state to allow yourself to read a book, do a course, and do these productive things that make you feel like you're, you're moving in a direction, which is so important to feel like you're actually moving the direction you want to be. I always say that, but so much of my life, I I wasn't even on a path. Now, I'm on a path. I'm not where I want to be on the path, but just being on the path is huge because the path has a beginning and an end. But when you're not even on the path, that that's that's when it's hard, honestly, when you, your life's just chaos and you don't know what you want to do, you don't know who you are, what your purpose in life is. 
what, why you're here, if you have any value whatsoever. I've mm. been through all that. And yeah. that's a really tough time. It is. I think on some level, it's necessary. I think you have to go through there. I have. I think you have to wander aimlessly for a little bit and, and be shaken up or you know, have the world instill a passion into you or better yet, have your own passion revealed to you. You know, it's like finding the Holy Grail within yourself. Like, oh my God, I really like this. And I love what you said about, you know, for me too, reading was something that I didn't really feel I knew how to do until I started listening to like some audio books. And like, for me, I would have to be doing something and listening to an audio book. And then I'm like, yeah. well, this is how I learn. And then all of a sudden, after I did that for a while, then I could read. I'm like, okay, I get it. But you have to figure out how you learn. Because just because yep. you sat in a class and somebody told you like a Pavlovian dog blowing whistles on you, like that doesn't mean that's how you learn. That's how some people learn. And guess what? Yep. If you don't learn like that, it doesn't mean you're dumb. In fact, it probably yep. means you're, you're smarter in different areas. Like we all learn different ways. But the easiest way to teach a bunch of people is just to show them one way. So that's what happened for a lot of us. But once you figure out how you as an individual learn, man, that lights a fire up in you. You know, and all of a sudden it burns away that dead brush. It burns away those old ideas like you're not good enough because you start seeing something. Then you find that path. You're like, son of a gun. I was on this yellow brick road the whole time, man. <laughs> right? And on that point about um... – Basically, so I'm neurodivergent. I, I'm dyslexic and dyspraxic, the same as Tom. No, sorry, I don't. I, I'm not sure if Tom is um, dyspraxic, but anyway. But um, the the point is that I had a test. I went through school terrible, you know, failed, failed, failed. Told I was lazy. Told I was easily distracted all over the place. So all through academically, absolutely okay. terrible. Got to university and I was just sort of like, I've got to do something about this because I'm in my first year of university. The lads I'm working with are joking about how easy this is and how ridiculous this is. And I hope this gets harder. And I'm just going along with it. Like, yeah. And I was struggling. Honestly, right. I was really struggling. So I got to my um, uh, my third year and um, I had a, I had a test uh, for, for dyslexia. So I was just sort of like, there's something not right in my brain. I have to, you know, sort this out somehow because I'm, I'm going to fail. And when I had my test, I was dyslexic and dyspraxic. And on certain things, I think it was like um, cognitive process, memory, and a few other things. I basically got a score that said only 2% of the population would have got a score that low. So, but the thing is, I found that incredibly empowering because my whole life, I was like, I know I'm trying. I know I've always loved to learn. It's been an absolute passion of mine, but I just I found it very hard. And um, when I had that awareness, as I said, that gave me power. And then that allowed me to say, okay, I've got a name for this thing. How do I address it? What What does this thing? What's the research? What do we know about this thing that tells me that I would struggle? Ah, oh, yeah. So I I did struggle with my driving driving and now other people struggle with that driving ah i do struggle with reading books and these mm -hmm. people struggle with reading books and i found uh, a reason for for this whole chaos in my life and then i started to address that and now i mean i went from uh again failing 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 i worked in a, like a bar six years ago after going to uni twice and all this lot 
I was about 28, wondering what is my life. I'm now 36. I work in London, service design transition manager. Um, I read typically a book a week. I can speed read. I've memorized like 80 countries and capitals and trying to get to 200. And I just give myself these kind of challenges. Yeah. Now having that awareness that I'm not fixed, again, neuroplasticity, just look up that word and the definition. Mm -hmm. And it's incredibly empowering because it tells you what you are today is not who you're going to be in 10 seconds from now. We are constantly evolving and expanding. And this goes back to that thing about moving through the world. Your data points of the way you can expand, it grows exponentially when you're out in the world because it is that unpredictability. Like even to the point of, um, let's say you're at a networking event and you've never been in that room before, right? So you're working out the room, you're walking around, you've never met those people before. So all the conversations, you're, you have to, there's no autopilot. Yes, you can do like certain things. You can you know, prepare your, your introductions, stuff like that. But if someone turns around and says, um, so do you like football, for example? You didn't know that question was coming. So you, you come up with an answer on the spot. Well, you know, I do like football. I don't like football. Why do you like football? Why don't you like football? And you don't know where what stuff's going to come in. And that, is the most powerful thing for your brain is when it has to create new neural connectors and stuff from the information it knows, the information you've been given to come up with something kind of in between. Yeah. And I just found that whole world just completely fascinating. I do like mind maps to, you know, replicate the sort of neural pathways and stuff. And yeah, it's, it's an incredible thing when you learn about that. That changed my life, honestly, that and um, Benjamin Hardy, if you know him. Mm, I'm not familiar with him. What, he, has he written some books or who is he? Yeah, so question Benjamin Hardy. He teamed up with his mentor and um, inspiration. Hardy. Oh, I can't remember the guy's name. Sorry. But uh, yeah, so he's written several books. He was actually on my friend's podcast, Eddie McKay, on a mission podcast. Uh, and that's where I first heard him. And he was. Uh, yeah, he just introduced me to neuroplasticity. He told me about how we're not limited. He's written a book called Willpower is Not Enough. Basically talks about how our environments are so much more of a, a, a contributing factor to us getting stuff done than our willpower. Because if you sit here and you're like, no, I'm going to get this done. I believe myself. I'm going to push it. I'm going to do this and this. But your environment is distractions and overwhelm and all this. All that willpower just gets sapped. So if you can be put yourself in an environment which is positive and neutral and stress-free and all this sort of stuff, your willpower levels will maintain. People think willpower is like this endless resource. It's not. It's a reservoir. And it's consumed through every action you do. And it's micro and it's macro. You read a book, it consumes some of your willpower. However, if you read a book, maybe it consumes that much willpower. But it, oh, sorry, well, I should say focus on this willpower. But read a book and it consumes that much focus that if you watch a YouTube video, it's like this much. Because the the amount of information that you have to process is so much more. Does that make sense? So when we live in this, this is what they call a thing called TikTok brain. So people on TikTok, they they live in this sort of like dopamine addiction like this. And they're just getting this information just bang, 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 bang. 
and it just overwhelms their brain so that's when you come to me say hey read this book they're instantly just like oh my god that's like the most boring thing ever do you know what i mean and no one started a business off watching well they may start a business but no one wrote a business plan off the back of a tiktok video like you may get inspiration from it may but it's not nearly to the level of reading a book i mean stephen kotler talks about this of um a book is possibly the best roi you're gonna get because it typically takes someone like two to five years to write a book and then they consolidate that and they bring all the best points into about 400 pages and you pay what 12.99 that's pretty good for four years of someone's consolidated information or five years for 12.99 i think it's pretty good roi yeah without a doubt without a doubt it's have you thought about writing a book <laughs> it's strange i'm actually going on a <laughs> i'm going on a course on wednesday write a book it's my um a woman that i met i was on a podcast training uh three-day training event i do a lot of courses um in different disciplines and there's three three days of setting up a podcast and this lady came there called chloe chloe bison listen and uh, i don't know if i can promote a book can i do that yeah of course man what you got literally just in my eye line so it makes sense so she's a um self-published author and she's uh got a, i think a marketing agency of some kind so this is a book just write, just the, damn write book. the damn book <laughs> yeah. so, so there's no nonsense but the thing that i like about this and more books are doing this nowadays which they give you actionable steps Mm -hmm. so it's not like you just passively read the book and i, I would I'd advise to anyone actually if you're going to read a book don't don't put it in your head that it's a passive activity it's not passive it needs to be active it needs to if it's a book that doesn't have actual steps in it then you need to visualize what the book you know put yourself in that person's shoes or feel that emotion of if you're reading a book about entrepreneurship for example someone saying about smell the leather being in a hotel right take that stop it close the book and just resonate with that just for a moment because the more you can connect with that book or that story whatever it is the more impactful it is for you it's not just about reading the information that goes in happy days that's not how your brain works it has to it has to activate on multiple levels and the more levels it can activate the more potent it is but yeah so Chloe's doing a course on, on Wednesday, which basically will take all the stuff that I've done in the book and then we'll run through it like in person. And um, yeah, my book is, uh, well, I won't talk too much about it, but it, it's basically just about, I guess, self-development, but it kind of, the, the whole idea of it is that when I read a book about so many other you know successful people entrepreneurs and this sort yeah. of thing it's um i describe it it's it's not from a perspective that i can really resonate with is is my point and i want to do something that someone could be like i sound like that guy i'm like that guy you know and i want to write the book for the person that is not the entrepreneur that's that's made it and they're reading a book out of many books they're reading i want to write it for the person that works in the bar that works in a coffee shop that doesn't understand how to get inspiration and how to get those sensations so all the stuff i talked about now about yeah. how biohacking 
watch a YouTube video, do something outside of work for one, two, three hours, whatever it is. That's kind of the book I want to write. I want to write a book for me 10 years ago. I come across. That's what yeah. You know, you're the only person that I've, I've heard where, well, as I'm listening to our conversation, you know, we, in the beginning, we, we kind of talked about abundance a little bit. And I think there's some real unique bridges, although bridges is not the word I want to use. I think there's some real incredible similarities between your ideas and abundance and the way in which when you took a test and found you were dyslexic, how the world changed. It's like on some level, I think you're explaining the same things. It must, it must have, it must have been interesting to be, have a diagnosis and then be like, son of a gun, here's how I do it. It's like all of a sudden the world opened up to you and like you got to see abundance. It's like almost like you were living in scarcity and you're like getting by and then boom, abundance. Like I think that that is like that is what so many people need right now, Gary. Like the guy that's losing his job or the girl that's just, you know, she got out of a relationship or she just lost her job. Like, like so many of us with the conditions of the world that we spoke about earlier, that's happening to everybody. And you've been through it like your whole life. It's almost like you've been trained for this, man. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, I was actually, I started my, uh, my first business. So I was property sourcer. And that basically the way that works is you work right. as an estate agent for the investor. So speaking with a lot of wealthy people, it's um, trying to source them properties. It's uh, doing due diligence on the property and all the figures and all this sort of stuff, working out exit strategies. Now, while I enjoyed that, um, obviously, you know, Simon Sinek, Simon Sinek, start with why. And again, a very, very powerful quote is um, there's two most important moments of your life or days of your life, but the day that you're born, the day you find out why. And I really <laughs> like that. And when I was doing the sourcing, I, I did it from a place of I want to make more money. And I've never been motivated by money. Not really. Right, right. So I wasn't really motivated around that business. But in trying to do a nine to five and do this property sourcing business when I finish work, and reading books on this sort of stuff, I found myself being incredibly overwhelmed and I didn't have the time to do anything and I was stressed and I burn out and all this sort of thing. So naturally through me learning different ways to effectively manage my overwhelm and manage my anxiety and manage my understanding of, okay, how these foods affect me and carbs and all this sort of thing. Um, I then found a real passion for optimization and productivity and then through that i was like hold on i'm the guy that would leave the house and have to come back like five times because i would forget stuff you know this this was my mind so me becoming this optimization productivity guy is kind of what i've known for my group you know people message me and they say how do you stay so systemized how do you stay so organized and like if you knew my history like it's it's such an opposition to where i came from but but that's what i believe is is very powerful in telling my story and living in a way that um is aligned to that goal to that path right yeah it's because i do have a history of the exact thing i struggled with is now the thing i'm trying to teach and (laughs) it's so awesome (laughs) 
that, that that the passion I have for thing is is amazing because you know I said that it's boring. You do the boring right. trying to get there, but I'm very grateful that my passion and the thing that I really enjoy is so like diverse and takes us in so many directions and is one of the foundational pillars that I believe in, i.e. body, mind, and soul. So the mind is my kick. Like, I love it. I love exploring it. I love understanding it more. I do go to the gym. I do this, but I'm not like, like I go like three days a week, you know, but there are people that are way more about me than me about the human body and how it develops and grows um, by the same with the mind. But I would definitely say that the mind is the one that I've really locked onto. The soul I'm coming onto more in my group. There's a lot of talk about that soul energy force and things like this but i always approach things from a very logical standpoint right when i hear about someone that says manifestation and i may be wrong upper man's i would say may be wrong but from my own logical framework when someone says i want this thing to happen and i believed in it and it happened now their take on that is the universe gave me this thing because i wanted it and i desired it my take on it given my understanding of how the mind works is by you wanting that thing and resonating on it and dreaming on it and all this sort of stuff, you created yourself a memory because your brain doesn't know the difference between memories and reality or dreams and reality, sorry. Right. So you created yourself what the brain thinks is a memory. It doesn't have any other data points to link to that memory. It doesn't know where it came from. So then it spends all this time trying to bring you to a place to resolve that memory to bring you back to that place because the brain is an energy conservation machine and it doesn't like this this thought that's come in of you i don't know driving a tesla or whatever that it doesn't know where it came from when it happened whatever so it's constantly searching to find those answers so when you're having a conversation with someone and you recognize something that they say that might take you in that direction your brain wants to take you in that direction when you're going to a networking event, you're debating, should I go, should I not? Your brain will kick in and say, no, we definitely should go because it, it sees, okay, this might answer that question. Yeah. And that's how I see manifestation. And that's how I have to find the logical way to explain it because I'm not, today, I'm not quite in that energy, in that space of the universe and energy and, and transfer will just happen. I'm not there yet. I hope to be because it, it, it's, it's, um, it's incredibly interesting field and i have a lot of friends that are and, and they're very happy <laughs> so <laughs> there's definitely something in it that should you should that should all be in the book man that's a fascinating way to interpret the meaning and interpret direction and interpret it interpret motivation like that's a brilliant and beautiful way to look at it. i've never heard anybody describe it that way man that that's freaking awesome and i love it have you ever thought like what about I'm sure in London there's schools for kids that have dyslexia. Man, maybe you could even help out like a young a version of you 20 years ago. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's um, it's something that I I'll take on board. Uh, my my issue is at the moment is I I take on far too much than I can handle already. Agreed. So I um, I said I started at a point where I was just work yeah. a job, and this is the thing. When I was 24, I was going to get sacked from my job uh working in a bar because i couldn't process working stuff through the till fast enough right. yeah that's where i started from and then over time um i've improved myself and done self-development stuff and i've gone up and i've done specific cognitive training as well 
and um, that's allowed me to take on more. And yeah, but the problem is, and I think we all kind of have this to an extent, is when I'm able to do more, I'll then fill that gap. I won't just leave myself a gap, a gap to process, a gap to enjoy life, all that sort of thing. I just fill the gap. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, I have my full time job. I want to start my coaching practice. Uh, I work for a homes charity. I'm a sales agent for two companies, one for sustainable energy, one for cybersecurity. So I try to read a book a week. I've got a couple of courses on the go. And uh, I try and go to a networking event every week. And um, yeah, it, it, it's a lot. Pretty busy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, the, this is the thing, though, as I said, I, I genuinely have a passion for learning. And it, it's not a thing of chasing the shiny coin. It's a thing of the world has existed for thousands of years. I'm going to be here for 90. I know I don't have time to learn absolutely everything, but I would like to learn, yeah, a lot. Yeah. There's there's something contagious about a person who is passionate for living, man. I think you embracing that. That's that's awesome. Is you had mentioned some psychology that you were. Is there like a certain is there a certain philosopher or a certain branch of psychology that you gravitate towards? Um obviously you have like the big names like uh Nietzsche. Now there was some that I came across that's actually there was there was three of the big kind of mind people mind people. There was Nietzsche or philosophers, sorry. Nietzsche, you have to name me one now. There's like three. Nietzsche. Um how about um who wrote the red book? Carl Jung, that seems to be my my branch. Yeah, Carl Jung, Whitehead, yeah. like that branch there. I think there was he's a contemporary of of Nietzsche, I think. Yeah. Now there was there was uh, four of them, but three of them are like really famous. And there was this guy that Maybe wasn't Freud. Was he in Freud, there? Freud, yeah, yeah. I right. think that might be it. Freud, Nietzsche, and Jung, right? But then and they're like the godfathers of philosophy. And then there was this other guy who was um not as known, but his thoughts and his uh theories and everything were like in polar opposite to the other three it was really strange i came across it a while ago but no for the pacific philosophers and stuff like that and psychology i haven't necessarily studied it it's more just as a um i I think it's incredibly powerful to understand the human condition more and i look at it from what's going on kind of today because things obviously move so quickly. So people like Benjamin Hardy, he's a, um, a neuroscience professor of some kind, I believe. So I like him. Oh, uh, Dan Hardy, sorry, was the other author I, I was trying to get to with the books. Yeah. Um, Stephen Kotler is a great professor on, on flow research, so getting mm-hmm. in flow state. So, yeah, my, my research, uh, my authors are more around um present day people that are entrepreneurs business people the the old school guys you know the big philosopher types no i haven't looked into too much that that level of reading um to understand you know their works i think is probably 
quite a stretch at, at the minute. Like I've got a book, uh, Sapiens, which I haven't read yet. But, no, uh, uh, Yuval Noari. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't looked at that one yet, but uh, yeah, I want to get around. Just read, just read Gun Germs and Steel. I think it's better. <laughs> it's my opinion. Is it Gun Germs and Steel? Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, in some ways, this is just me. I think that Noel kind of ripped off Gun Germs and Steel. And it's just me being a crusty old guy over here in Hawaii. But like when I read those together, everyone's like, Sapiens is so awesome. And I'm like, have you read guns germs and steel because it's kind of sounds like he just changed a few things around right there <laughs> oh, yeah i never heard it so yeah you'll love it it's super awesome it's super awesome oh thank you but yeah what do you what's your take on the flow state man like that's that's something that i have found really intriguing lately and it's been coming up a lot in a lot of the conversations i have whether it's talking to people that are on the edge of technology or people that a lot of neurodivergent people I've found have embraced this flow state. And it almost reminds me of like the power of now, but what do you think about the flow? state? when you think of the flow state, what do you think of like, what's going on or how do you feel or what are your thoughts about it? So it's, um, the, the thing is that, uh, flow state is, it's something we can sort of get into. And again, I'm, I'm very appreciative that people have done the research to put it in a concise format, which we can understand it more. I think me, me high cheeks, send me high is the mm. godfather of flow. And it's about, do you know, where like you're, you, you go to work and you just finish the work then you think, God, that was amazing. I got so much done and everything just went fine. And I didn't have any, um, reservations I didn't get distracted I just did what I need to do and I walked out and it, it was amazing that's kind of what it is and people kind of think oh I just had a good day when you actually analyze it you'll probably find that you set up certain things in that day to allow that to happen so flow doesn't just happen it's when a certain amount of things come together in congruence to give you a result that you kind of want so the way I describe it is like all the lights are green so if you're traveling through traffic and all the lights are green right. so one. you're not stuck in traffic there's no red lights there's no crazy person that ran out in front of the car you know that sort of thing and it's a very it's very rare in that sense very very rare that all lights are green and you just get from point a to point b and that's the thing if all the lights are green you just get to where you want to get to in the quickest possible time without any interruptions or any distractions or any um you know blockers whatever and it's all about getting in flow state there's a guy uh i can't remember his first name but something silver dr something silver mm -hmm. and he talks about the silver method but it's basically getting into alpha so you have different brainwave states alpha theta beta gamma maybe zeta I'm not too sure but the state that you want to be in is alpha and the way that i've heard alpha state described is that you are locked into what you're doing you're singularly focused like nothing else exists you're just doing this thing and the thing is when they measure people that are in this state and they're doing work in this state they can literally their output is literally higher than someone that has more time than them but is not in that state mm. so in that way this mm. is why the first product that i want to learn launch as a, a coach is the masterpiece day achieve more in a day than you could in a week 
because when you're in this state of mind, you can have, let's say, three hours, but you'll produce what this person produced in eight hours, in three hours. Because when you're in a flow state, let's say, for example, if your output, if you're just working away and you're like, okay, so what's going to happen? You've got a five-hour day, an eight-hour day. I'm going to start my day. I'm going to write this. Uh, let's say for, for your example, uh, George. Yeah. So you're going to start the day. Right, I've got uh, I've got to type up some some notes for this podcast I'm doing. So I'm gonna write. So who's the guest? I'm gonna research the guest. Right, that's gonna take me twenty minutes. Then I'm going to um, put that all down in terms of the research I got back. Then I'm gonna see what sort of questions I might be able to ask them. So maybe that's like an hour to think of my questions, and that's obviously kind of how your day is gonna go. If you're in flow, then as I said about the whole task switching thing and multitasking thing, the multitasking thing, yes, you're going to jump from the whole research, the questions, to et cetera, but those transitions are going to be so flawless and everything you do at each one of those points are going to be so flawless. You're not going to stop because you know that, well, you're in this flow state. You don't want to stop. You don't want to get distracted. You don't want to have a water break. You don't want to take a piss. You don't want to do anything. You're yeah. just locked in and it's not, there's no effort to it. it it's just your natural state and what i find so incredibly powerful about this whole thing is that a lot of people try to like i need to get motivated i need to do this work i need to force myself to do this work is a, is a you know a time i hear a lot and it shouldn't be like that and when you actually change as i said the, your brainwave patterns to be aligned with working to be aligned with achieving and aligned with creating it comes so effortless because you're in a brainwave state that's conducive to that work. So it's not, it's not this big effort, this work, this um, this hardship that you have to put yourself through. You're just doing what your brain wants to do, which I think is is amazing. <clears throat> Man, you explain that so well. It it speaks volumes of the people we see and admire that are great at doing something and they make it look effortlessly like that. You've really nailed exactly how that's possible. And it's when we, when we, when we factor in the lesson you taught us on neuroplasticity, it would seem that once one found their why their second, why then the act of neuroplasticity would reinforce that behavior and they would just get better and better and better at it. They'd be able to slip into it and notice it on, and, and, and man, that's the secret. I think, I think that's the secret sauce, man. I, I hope that people can find that thing that's calling to them, that that's calling them to the flow zone. Man, like, can you imagine when everyone in your community is able to tap into that. Like, I think it's coming, Gary. I think that the fact that people are beginning to vocalize it and understand it, like that's the emergent of it, right? Yeah, 100%. As I said, it's um, the information's there. There's so much stuff going on. You yeah. just don't know where to go. Yes. And actually, one of the biggest, um, basically, taxes on your brain is clarity. Mm. Because if you just had clarity, you imagine a world where you have clarity, where you know exactly what I need to do today to get me to tomorrow, and tomorrow I'm going to do this thing, and then that's going to take me to this point, and ever, etc. That doesn't, like, it does exist, but it takes it takes work and effort and 
a certain amount of um, contribution to get to clarity. Clarity does is not given. Uh, so yeah, clarity is is like a big a big thing. And again, in flow, you have clarity. I know what I need to do, how I need to do it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The mind just becomes opens up and just it just it just aligns. But what you said there as well is very true about people coming together in flow because there is actually a thing known as group flow. So you can have your singularly focused, you know, thing from you doing your own work. However, you can have flow as a group and benefit from the group's collective flow um, by being around people that, again, are aligned, people that follow your principles, people that have your values. And this is why being in a network is so important. So when you have a team of people working on that project and they're all in, in flow, I mean, yeah, I mean, I watched the uh, the film the other day, Oppenheimer, hmm. with um, Kelly Murphy, and although that wasn't really talked about in the film, I kind of imagine a group of scientists and engineers working together to create this bomb that they needed, you know, for this war efforts kind of thing, and if they get it wrong, they could potentially destroy the world. That was like the narrative. And they have a certain time to do it. And all these sort of things are coming in to bring these people together for this collective purpose that's bigger than them. That's that's another big thing as well, I think. Mm. Uh, that people yes. forget. It's doing things that are bigger than yourself is, mm. is a very good uh, motivating factor because with our own selves, okay, I want to do this for me because it gives me extra result. Great. But right. if you don't really care about yourself enough like a lot of us you know we don't um, human nature is to care about other people more than ourselves so if you're not doing it for you do it for someone else do it for your mum do it for your wife yes. do it for your kids like use that as your motivation and that will take you far greater than again if you don't believe in yourself you maybe won't do it for yourself but with that film and then we'll come together with this all these factors and the time constraints and the uh, the criticality of it and what it was going to mean for the world. I believe that they were working as a unit in a, in a more you know a sort of a flow type thing because of all those factors. Uh, and again, that wasn't mentioned, but that is just something that I I picked up uh, when I was watching the film that those engineers and those scientists would have to be working in such a tight level of um, such so tight direction where if one person was off and this person had missed their figures and this person didn't give the reports when they needed to and it all falls to pieces and i think yeah there are certain teams like that on certain projects that will naturally fall fall into that um but it becomes harder because of the world we live in and again the distraction stuff people people don't acknowledge how how bad that stuff is like now i think i don't know if you've seen it but um facebook and uh TikTok are in it's not uh house of commons or in england's house of commons in in america is it like the senate committee or something mm -hmm. so yeah. yeah they're in the senate every time i say that i think of star wars but uh, <laughs> but yeah they're in front of the, the senate committee or the whatever your judicial system is um basically on trial because there's there's kids that have killed themselves because of these apps and because of this reality that it creates it's not reality in terms of 
body perfection and stuff with Instagram. And um, yeah, these these social networks have laws protecting them from ever being sued. And these are finally being taught into question and people finally starting to talk about how damaging this stuff is. Uh, because it is, and I think it's one of those things when you when you understand how damaging it is, you understand you know, dopamine receptors and how wildly they are out of sync with where they should be in terms of a base level, you know, safe level. Um, yeah, the new generation is is going to have a tough time, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I, I got some thoughts there, but I, I want to think, I want to talk a little bit more about f the, the group flow state because I never really thought about it from that angle before. But not only is it probably true in a scientific setting, but just look at all the sports teams that play. I don't really watch a whole lot of sports, but I'm familiar with sports teams that become dynasties. And there's this certain sort of, you know, mentality where people can just know where the ball is going to be at, or you'll hear the guy like, I just knew he was going to be there. So I threw it to him or I just, I just passed the ball to him because I knew he, he could head it into the goal from there, you know? Yeah. And it's this, this sort of collective muscle memory where we can all be together. Like we just know what's going to happen. And if we're being honest, I bet you everyone listening to this at some point in their life has been with a friend or been with a loved one and was like, I know what they're going to say, you know, or they've, I know they're going to say this, or I know that they like that. And you know, if we take it one step further, there's a great book by dang it. No, I forgot the guy's name. I think it's something Ryan, Chris Ryan. And he talks about the way in which, uh, grasshoppers become locusts like grasshoppers swarm when they when they reach a certain critical mass they fundamentally change they, they fundamentally change their body shape and they become locusts and it's not that far fretched from the idea of mob mentality i think that kind of gets a bad rap like yeah there can be a mob mentality but if that's true couldn't there be something instead of like a god mentality you know instead of a mob mentality maybe it'd be a god mentality where we get together as a group and we go you know what hmm let's do this other thing you know and i'm sure that's how movements get started and that and you're right there's so many distractions like we're so easily taken away from the very beginnings of this new form of collective flow state that we don't even get a chance to be born sometimes it's blows my mind to think about man thanks for pointing that out yeah that's awesome to think yeah. about thank you of course i mean i, I i'm not going to impress me and spend words forever but i have heard um basically people reiterate things about where we're all connected on a biological yes. level Agreed. Agreed. single cell organism that sort of stuff and i do believe there's 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 some truth in that and um again it's that thing of we are miracles power we hold is 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 great i mean if you think about someone like elon musk for example people look at him as this genius incredible person yeah and he absolutely is sure he's, he's made of the same things you are he's got a brain he's got blood he's got bones he's got muscle fibers it's just that he put i mean yes and he might have a certain measure of um extra intelligence or you know whatever it is genius level you know but people need to stop thinking themselves as i could never be that or that's right that's so far beyond me sort of thing again 
we're all made of the same stuff we just put ourselves in situations in different environments um and it creates less and less of us because uh sorry less and less people like Elon Musk because most of us are just trying to get by and we don't have that grandiose thought for ourselves so he actually said he wants to um basically build a another world on, on mars i believe and people sort of think he's crazy but what you've got to recognize is i don't think he even classes himself as being successful because he hasn't you know reached mars yet and people think that's mad how could elon musk not think successful with things he's done because but his perception or his perspective on the height of success the height of achieving is literally out of this world it literally leaves the planet that's where his mind is <laughs> so all the stuff that he does on earth no matter how fantastical and amazing how much billions it raises whatever mm. it doesn't it doesn't mean a jot to him and in the same way you know you think i think it was on uh Twitter or something, but there's something that happened recently. I think his stock dropped by something, but basically he lost a few billion pounds in like a couple of days, yeah. which to the average person is just such an insane number to even fathom. But to him, it's only because that's the level that he operates at. So it's like if you have, let's say, 80 billion pounds and or dollars, let's say and you lose two million well that's the equivalent i'm not it's not wholly equivalent tempers right. you know the amount i'm doing but let's say if you had eighty thousand pound and you lost 900 you still have eighty thousand pound or you still have like seven seventy thousand xxxx right but that's your frame of reference to say oh, i've lost that it sucks but it hasn't really affected me it's the same with him and his like billions. Yes, he lost like two billion, but he's got X amount. It doesn't doesn't really matter. Right. So it's all, all well, not all, but so much comes down to your your perception and your um, yeah, perception versus reality. I guess I would say, but your perception kind of creates reality, and you can change reality by changing your perception quite quickly. Um. Yeah, so that's that's been a big one for me, and that's that's why I did my gratitude journal every night, seeing things I didn't see. Because when you do like gratitude, it's not just about being thankful for something; it's about stopping and thinking about things that you pass by you every day you don't think about. So, say an orange, right? Something very simple like an orange. If you sit there and you like. Just don't do anything else. Just sit with an orange for like 10 minutes and just slowly open it up. And you see as you break away the skin, all the little fibers and skin like just tear away from the orange and you just open it up. And if it's a really hard orange, it might be you know, harder to break apart, but you just tear it away slowly and see all the um, little fibers break away and all the nutrients that run through those fibers and the color of the orange. And is it pale? Is it dark? But then you rip off the peel and everything and then put that to one side and then actually take apart each individual segment and then within those segments it's got all these fibers and everything and it's soft and you can look inside it and it's um it's transparent and you can see the seedlings inside 
and you can bite into it and you can rip it apart and see all these like things sort of open up like that or you can just bite it in half and the juice drop like an orange i could i could like dissect an orange for like a freaking hour if you just take the time to recognize like there is so much beauty in like nature and fruit and all these things that are just being created uh from from nature essentially um and when you have that awareness of things like that you don't think so you know your life's so bad kind of thing but yeah gratitude is very important and just resonating with the simplest things and just take something quite innocuous and just spend like 10 minutes with it can be yeah really interesting yeah it's you can learn a lot from an orange or just nature like just the way you described that which was beautifully done like there's so much happening peeling it away from the skin and watching the little like you can learn every part of, almost every part of science from that like if you just start asking why is that you know and it's like it's almost like nature's talking to us and like hey like trying to take hey, come here you want to learn something peel this orange you know or you know what what do you think came first the color orange or the fruit orange uh, <laughs> <laughs> my daughter gave me that one i was i did the same thing you did i was like hmm, it's pretty good I don't know. why do they call a lemon a yellow <laughs> i've got one about clothes so when people say they don't believe in aliens okay um, my sort of test for that is i say okay describe to me a new color no what do you mean but well you know that aliens don't exist right yeah they don't exist okay so describe to me a new color i can't okay so if you can't describe to me a new color how the hell are you going to tell me that a, a life form doesn't exist outside of our yeah because your only point to reference right. are everything from the day you're born to now so you have no points of reference from aliens other than movies and tv shows and theory so you can't say with i mean the same way i can't say with any right. conviction there's no god i can only say that from my own life experience and my environment and etc that i don't have a reason to have a faith but i don't denigrate anyone that does because their life experience is different from mine yeah and that's you know, the view of human beings but yeah <laughs> orange or color orange i think the orange came first we didn't have a word for it best way to put it so obviously the world was born all these things came out of the ground and they grew and they fell off and etc and then people started to eat them and just see how things went but i do find language in itself fascinating yeah, yeah. well you do wonder like why did we have a language because there must have some point been a universal language one language and then for some reason in different regions people started to call things different things why did we do that it's made the world so much more complicated <laughs> there's a great book called the gutenberg galaxy by marshall McLuhan, and he talks about the printing press and how it gave us ideas like exact repeatability and that's that's i think that you, you know what you can go back to timaeus and read um, I think in Timaeus, there's a section with Toth, who is, who is often talked about with the Emerald Tablets. But in this, 
in this particular section, they talk about the invention of writing. And it's really a cool section. And they, he talks about writing. Uh, God, I forgot. All I can remember is the name of Toth. And, and any, long story longer, he tells his God, like, and I'm totally paraphrasing here. Oh, great leader of God of Ra or whatever. I've created this new technology called writing. It's going to make humankind so much more able to exist in the world. And the, the, the God laughs at him and he's like, oh, Toth, my paragon of invention. First off, it is very foolheartedly for the inventor of a technology to say what it's going to do because that never happens. And the second thing is, while it's a wonderful technology, this idea of writing, it's going to have the opposite effect. Writing is going to make hu the human condition weaker because people will no longer need to have the experience. Instead, they will have the I the written language of an experience, and that takes away from. But it's I'm I'm totally butchering all of it right there. But it gets to back to this idea of language, like you know we've language is but an echo of the lived experience that someone does. This conversation we've had today is. You know, language doesn't do it justice. And I think in the psychedelic realm, you bump up against this thing that's ineffable. And, and like that is, or, or no, there's another great, there's another great book called Dynamics of Faith. And they talk about symbolism, you know, symbols being more than language because symbols actually participate in the thing they're pointing to versus a sign that just kind of points to the thing, but kind of bird walking there, man. But I love language too, Gary. And I got to tell you, this conversation, this whole time has been fascinating to me. Like we've just blown through an hour and a half, just like this. And I, before I let you go though, Gary, first off, thank you for everything. Um, you got to come back because I, I'm kind of bumping up against a hard break, but I have lots of other questions about dyslexia and learning. And, you know, do, do you see met like I have lots of other questions and if I start them now, I won't, I won't stop. So, <laughs> but before I let you go, where can people find you? What do you have coming up and what are you excited about? Uh, so I'm, I'm just on like, social media, LinkedIn, Facebook is probably the ones I okay. use the most. Uh, what I've got coming up. So obviously doing my book writing course, I do want to get my, um, my masterpiece day sort of program sorted. There's, there's lots of parts to it. There's gamification and yeah, working out different frameworks and avatars and there's a lot to it and um what am i excited about i'm excited for this year in the way that i've never been people would say you know write down your goals your visions and everything like this and i've done it many times but i've never been in a position where it could actually all come to fruition i spent a lot of time networking growing my uh, my connections um i've got uh i want to go to dubai for a visit and see how i feel and then potentially move there and then i need to work out okay how much do i need to earn to live in dubai how much do i need to bring in a month etc what are my savings this sort of thing so a lot of that's coming together i'm also i'm up for two awards at the hnc awards uh, event which is on friday yeah congratulations man thank you buddy thank you and again it's 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 absolutely wild the last one i went to was so life-changing and opened my eyes to so many things and now to not just be going again but to be nominated uh for the awards is is incredible and 
yeah, I'm very, very excited about that. I need to do my, my mind maps for it to work out what I'm going to say and everything. Everything's lastminute.com at the moment. But uh, yeah, excited to be alive, excited for this time, excited for each and every day, to be honest, because there's so much opportunity that, that can come in. You just You just never know. And that only increases the more you allow yourself to to believe in life and the other people in that have a similar mindset and a vision. And even like, you know, to this this interaction we've had today, coming from our mutual friend Tom, who I met at an event. Yeah, right. we just yeah, we cracked on with and, and here I am speaking with some of America. These are the the wonderful ways in which life can can take you if you just you just open to it. So it's been uh, been amazing for me also. I appreciate your time, George. Man, you're brilliant. And I love talking to you. And shout out to Tom. We love you, buddy. Um, thank you for everything. And um, we'll hang on briefly afterwards, Greg, because I still want to just talk to you briefly afterwards. But to everyone who participated today and is listening to this today or in the future, uh, go down to the show notes and uh, I'll put Gary's links to Facebook and LinkedIn will be down there and you can reach out to him and you can pick his brain and I'm sure he'd love to talk to you. So that's all we got for today, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you have a beautiful day. Aloha. Pleasure. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that... I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, Go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.